Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 25th, 2023. It is currently 1.39 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Have you ever felt that sense of dread, that sense of, oh, no, 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 no. No, and you start you start trying to come up with a, a a way to avoid the thing that's causing that sense of dread, that thing that that's causing you to go, oh no, oh no. You start trying to think of a way. How can I avoid that? How how can I get out of that? What can I do? Do you do you remember? Maybe this happened to you. Maybe someone can relate to this. Do you remember when you were a kid? And for some reason, you were dreading going to school that day. Maybe there was a test. Maybe there was just something. And you did not want to be there. And then you woke up in the morning going, <coughs> oh, I don't think I can go to school. I, 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 don't think, I, I don't think I can go. There's just no way. There's just no way. No way. I can remember. One time, there for some reason, I, I didn't want to go to school, and I came up with this brilliant pl- pl- plan, right? I took milk, right? And I'd hid the milk and let, let it set out so that it was, like, really bad and it smelled horrible, right? So I, I think I'd had it out 48 hours, whatever it is, and I kept it somewhere, right? So I kept it out. Then I took, like, crackers and a bunch of stuff and smashed it all up in, the, like, the milk that was all, like— it was horrible. It was disgusting. Right. And I, and I saved it all up. Right. Because I didn't want to go to school for whatever reason. And then I waited until everyone saw me. And then I was like, Oh, 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 I think I'm going to throw up. And then I went into the bathroom where I had the stuff like ready to go. And then I was like, uh, making the sounds like I was throwing up. And then I just poured the spoiled milk with the crackers and other things in it into like the sink. And it was like, Oh, and so when they come in, it looked like I threw, uh, you know, I had thrown up and I didn't have to go to school. So, so yes, I have been there where I didn't want to do something and came up with a plan to get out of it. Well, right now I don't feel like doing this. I, I feel like that this is a no win situation. This is just, this, this is not, this is not. Ah, this is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And I think it's not going to go well because people are going to, I I feel like sometimes that I can't for some reason articulate my perspective here in a way that makes sense to the Christian mind. It's almost like when I, if I, if I speak to say maybe non-Christians, I feel like they can understand it, but Christians look at me like, what is wrong with you? You, you, and then, you know, then they'll start uh, making whatever accusations. But I, but we're going to look at this anyway. Um, I, 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 I do have, I obviously have some, some concerns about how this is going to go. I guess let me start this way. Let me start this way. Here is my perspective. And, and, and I'll, I'll see if I can articulate this. At least, at least I'll lay down kind of like a, a basic premise from which I operate. Here's the basic premise from which I operate. As Christians, as Christians, we all sin 
all the time in some way, shape, or form. Your sin may not be my sin. My sin may not be your sin, but we're all sinning in some way, shape, or form. God's standard is perfection. We never reach perfection. Therefore, we're always in a state of sin. If we understand sin as a lack of conformity to God's holy standard, then you know you're in a perpetual state of sin. I know Christians love to sell the idea that we can overcome and that we've been set free and that we can do it, but the reality is God's standard is perfection. You're not perfect. Therefore, any lack of conformity to God's holy standard in thought, word, and deed, and how you feel and what you desire places you in some kind of sin. But for some weird reason, Christianity loves to fixate on one sin, on one concept, or or two sins, or, or just specific sins. And then we, not only that, we tend to really focus on the external action more than the internal issues. We, we really want to reduce sin to external action and only, well, dare I say, as much as we condemn Catholicism, our list of mortal sins and then our list of venial. If you're venial, you're good. No problems. Not going to get in any trouble. Not going to have any problems. No church discipline. You're good to go. You commit one of the mortal, and then it's crucifixion. It's stoning at midnight. It, it's it's the end of you're going to be brought down. You're to be public, publicly shamed and humiliated, and we're going to talk about you. So certain sins, boom, rocks to the head. Other sins, well, you know, you're just like the rest of us. And this causes me some, some issues. I sometimes am just perplexed and confused and how this all works within the church. It's like, and we'll, we'll get into some specifics later. I don't want to start throwing out my controversial examples because it immediately will, will make everyone mad at me. But here's what happened. I don't even know what time it was. I could probably go back through the emails. It was late. And I started getting emails. The first one was, uh, was pretty simple. In fact, I, I think I can pull up the first one. Let me just pull up the first one. I didn't even think about... Uh, pulling up the emails, but let me see if I can find out what, when the first one came in. The first one came in, there's been a lot of these. Let's see. I think the first one dropped, came into my email inbox at uh, 10 p.m. Um, last night. That was when the first one dropped. And then it just started, they just started building from there, right? The first one was somewhat kind of cryptic. It just said, I don't want sound bites. Give me that whole sermon. I'm no Andy Stanley fan, but I want the whole sermon. I don't want sound bites. And I was like, what in the world is happening? Who, what is, what is, what do you, so then I was started thinking, did I, did I review like a sound bite of Andy Stanley? I don't usually operate that way. I usually review the whole sermon. So I, I started like looking, like, I know I've talked about Andy Stanley. I'm like, what did I do wrong? Like, I, I don't understand. Like what, what happened here? And then, so I think I basically said like, Hey, so what's going on? And then so then the, that that one person I was getting multiple emails on this same subject all like all from like they came in from like 10 p.m. I think the last one came in at around 3 a.m. It was just one after another after another after it was craziness it was just craziness so so then someone uh, someone sent me a link I think the the original emailer sent me a link says and I said I think I said uh, which 
What what Andy Stanley situation are you talking about? He's been involved in enough. Like I was somewhat confused, and they and they sent an email saying this one. I originally saw this posted, and they named the person's Facebook feed, and I'm like, well, what what's happening here, right? So I open it up, and then all it says is it's from the Drive Conference at North Point 2022. All I have is a 10 minute segment sent to me. I can get it to you, and I'm like, what? What are they talking about? What? Are, what? And so I, I, so I started, I started uh, looking, and then someone put posted a clip of Andy Stanley, and it says, "What on earth? Let this be a lesson. Much evil can be done against you, others, and your church under the banner of evangelism." Well, they, the emails kept coming in, and I, and it was taking me a minute to piece it together, and I'm like, oh no. Andy Stanley made some comments in regards to gay men, homosexuals, homosexuality that had sparked, I guess, Twitter outrage, right? And he was literally trending on Twitter. Andy Stanley was a trend on Twitter. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And I'm like, oh, no. And as soon as I saw that it was comments about homosexuality, I'm like, here we go. Here we go again, because if there is one sin that is probably up there in the top three or four, maybe even the top one, we know the sin of homosexuality is a sin that is to be treated different than all the rest. You can commit 50 sins and you're okay. You can commit 50 sins per minute and you're okay. But if you find yourself anywhere near the sin of homosexuality, it is the end of the world. It Forget 90 seconds, you know, uh, to midnight on the doomsday clock. You've already, you're, the time has expired. You are finished. You, uh, doomsday has come for you. And I, I, I oh, so I, I'm like, okay, okay. So what, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I, I kept there. I kept just kind of having convert. I kept walking around the house, having conversations with myself. I'm like, go oh, see. So what do I do here? What do I do here? Do, do I, do I go upstairs and address this now? It's like, you know, two, three, two, or two or three in the morning. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, what, do I really want to do anything? Do I really want to do it? Do I want to really address this? I don't know. And then I don't even know where, I don't even know how this, I came across this. I think I got an, an email. I got an email from churchleaders.com, which usually just sends a lot of information about, you know, what's going on in the church and that kind of stuff. Usually sometimes it's more promotional stuff of products and different services to buy, like, you know, buying a sermon or something. I can't remember. And maybe that's a different email. I get so many emails, right? But I, but I get these emails from churchleaders.com frequently, or at least semi-frequently. And I open it up and look at the headline. You ready? Here we go. Andy Stanley trends on Twitter for praising the faith of gay people who attend church. And I'm like, okay, so now it's gone from email after email after email to now a news article. And I'm like, oh, oh boy, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So then I thought about maybe doing something short for the today's focus. I thought about doing something short for the today's focus. But then I came up with the idea around 4 or 5 a.m. about, hey, We'll do something for, with a doomsday clock, 90 seconds to midnight. I thought I had this vision for how I wanted that to go. And that turned it out to be a complete disaster. And then 
Then I was so mad that I'm like, okay, I'm not doing another broadcast ever again for the rest of my life. I retire. And then I was just getting frustrated because I'm like, well, if I do do something today, I got to talk about this and I don't want to talk about it. So then I, you know, contemplated, you know, going and stand in front of a truck and just end it all. And that'd be okay. Maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole. But then I was just like, okay, I've, how do I get myself in the right frame of mind to do this? And I don't think there's an easy way. All I can really do, and I know I use this illustration a lot, and I know as, as public speakers, whether it's a podcaster or a pastor, or whether it's a, a podcaster or a pastor sitting behind a pulpit, when you start using certain ideas or illustrations over and over and over, people get bored with them. But the only way I can describe this, because I don't have anything better, so you can sue me, is I, all I feel I can, I can do is just walk to the edge of the pool and jump in. So we're going to jump in. And we're going to find my, we're going to, look, we're not going to resolve this never-ending controversy in the church dealing with homosexuality. Oh, yes, then I woke up today and the Pope, the Pope made some comments about homosexuality. Did you see that Pope Francis, that it's not a crime? Oh, and and everyone's losing their minds over that. So I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess today I'm supposed to talk about homosexuality all day long. That's all I'm supposed to talk about. So here we go. I'm just going to, I'm going, we're going to play the clip. Here's the clip that everyone, I've got the clip. It's only the, now, supposedly, this is what's frustrating. I was watching all of the Twitter back and forth. Supposedly, nobody can find the original sermon. Now, someone, I, I did find that it's from the Drive Conference. I found the webpage for the Drive Conference, but guess what? There's no sermons there. So I'm like, where is the sermons? And even if I could find the sermons, I don't know which sermon this comes from. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, someone on Twitter supposedly has a 10-minute clip, but he won't post a 10-minute clip. I guess if you message him, then he'll message you back with the clip like it's some top secret thing. And someone, I think, called him out like, hey, if you've got the context, why won't you just post the context publicly instead of this weird thing, you know, drop into my DMs and then I'll send you a link. What is that? If you've got the context, Post it. Like, why wouldn't you? Why? Hey, I've got the context, guys, but I can't let anybody see it. But if you DM me, I'll send you. The, what is that kind of nonsense? So that already was irritating. So I, I, we don't have the full context. But this is the clip that I think is, is being, is, is showing up on most of the places I've seen it. So what we're going to do, we're going to listen to it. Now, first of all, it's two minutes, less than two minutes. That's number one. Number two, he, I think it literally starts with he's in the middle of a sentence. That's problematic. Obviously, number three, we have no idea what comes after this. So already we have serious issues. But no matter what Andy Stanley said, there is this massive divide in Christianity when it comes to homosexuality, and we're going to be forced to deal with that divide. And I find myself on a side that is in the minority of the minority of the minority. And people think immediately that what I'm getting ready to say is that I say homosexuality is okay. I'm not saying that. But I think that we approach it in a way that's not consistent to how we approach other sins. Right? And you'll see what I mean by that in just a second. All right? But remember, my, 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 my foundational idea is that we all sin. We all, we're sinning all the time. Everyone is. So here we go. Are you ready? We're going to hear this clip. I, I, I amplified this like crazy uh, because when I played the, 
90 seconds to midnight announcement um, for the today's focus, it wasn't amplified enough. And that was another thing that irritated me. I thought I'd amplified it enough, but I guess I needed to ant- amplify it. Uh, who knows how much, but all right. But this one is amplified probably too much. So I backed it. Uh, I lowered the volume a little bit, but here we go. Andy Stanley, supposedly at the Drive Conference 2022. No idea what the sermon is about. No idea about anything. But this is the thing that's going through. Now, I do have a news article. Now, we'll work through the news article, and maybe they'll provide more context. But as of right now, I want you to just see what was originally, what I originally found. All right, here we go. Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. All right, now, again, it's right in the middle of a sentence. I'll back this up. If, if we could get the straight people to volunteer like he sees gay people willing to volunteer, we would have a backlog of volunteers in our churches. So in other words, the untapped volunteer market could be found within the gay community because they will volunteer. Now, is he referring to like, is he just using like a random example that homosexuals are more more willing to volunteer than straight people? Is, is he like, what, what is he trying to say? But th- this is this is how it starts. So let's back it up. Here we go. Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I, I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay men and women, okay, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. Okay, so a gay person who still wants to attend church, even after the way the church has treated gay people, has more faith than he does. All right. There's a part of me that kind of understands where he's going. Now, sometimes when we make these kinds of statements, it can come across like, like, you know, we're trying to use maybe an exaggerated statement to make a point. All right. Um, Okay, uh, so so someone said that they've been to his church once and the entire thing was how we can volunteer for the church. Yeah, he does seem big on, you know, volunteering for the church, volunteering for the church. But the bigger your church is, the more volunteers you need. I mean, when you end up with these mega churches, you know, you you got to have a lot of people helping making that whole that whole organization run smoothly. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I can probably see why I, I can at least understand why. Um to some level. I mean, look, I, I have to have people helping me out here, even with my podcast. I mean, I've got listeners who help help me out without there been being volunteers. You know, there, there are things I wouldn't get done. So I do understand that desire, but it, yeah, it can become problematic if that's all you can ever talk about. All right, but let's go back to this again. After the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm going to try it anyway. Wh- 
Have you ever done that as a straight person? Do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're gonna be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-law's house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place. I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church, oh my goodness. I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, God said no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. And I know the verses, I know the clobber passages, right? We gotta figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. Now that, boom, everyone lost their ever-loving mind, all right? Or at least Twitter outrage. But I mean, what is, when, the people on Twitter, I mean, what are, when are they not outraged, right? I mean, if everything, if all of a sudden it was announced, there is no more world hunger, cancer has been cured, no more war, everyone's at peace, uh, everything is wonderful in life. The everything is perfect. The weather is perfect. Twitter people would be like, I hate this. I can't believe I want some pain and suffering. Life is boring. This is trash. I want some cancer. I want a hurricane. I want some de-. They They would still be upset. So, so sometimes Twitter outrage, Twitter outrage doesn't necessarily is don't gauge reality based on Twitter outrage. It is not a window. It's not an, uh, it does not give you insight into what's really going on, but they were upset about it. Now let's go. I'm going to go with this before I even get to the news article. I am going to go to this very important comment here that he made that I think ticks off a lot of Christians, but I admire it. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I admire it because he talks about these homosexuals, gay men, gay women. He uses the term for both. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, Okay, true. Someone just said, oh, my, we need to hear uh, a lot more of that. That clip was nothingness in relation to the whole conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to hear more of that. We definitely do. But here, here we go. I know I'm about to get myself in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. That, to me, is a powerful statement. When you talk about a 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, 25, 30-year-old, right? It doesn't matter the age, who realizes, man, I, I'm attracted to someone of the same sex. I don't have attraction to someone of the opposite sex. I desire to be so- with someone of the same sex. That's who either I love them, I lust for them, I desire that. Nothing else. I don't want anything else. I want someone of the same sex. And then they realize, maybe maybe they say they believe in Jesus and they, they read the Bible and they realize that it's wrong and they beg God, please take away this desire. Make it go away. Make it go away. Give me a desire for someone of the opposite sex. I don't want this anymore. Please take it away. Please take it away. And it never goes away. 
Now there is a camp. There is a side within Christianity who says that person is not saved because if they were saved, they would not have same sex desires. You cannot be saved and have same sex desires. You cannot be saved and have same sex attraction. Now that is a side within Christianity. I am not on that side. And here's the reason I'm not on that side. Because if that was true, then for everyone who's a heterosexual who becomes saved, all of our sinful desires should go away. So you would have to be consistent theologically that if you get saved, you cannot have a sinful desire. You cannot struggle with a sinful desire, with a wrong desire, with a, with a desire or an attraction for this or for a, a, an idol or for covetousness or for lust or for, for unforgiveness or like all of those desires would just go away. The way it works in some churches, you can have the heterosexuals over there struggling with lust and desire and all kinds of issues, right? Oh, no, no, they can be saved. <laughs> but if you're a homosexual, you get saved. That desire supposedly must go away just like that. Just like, just like that. Why is that? Why, why does that work for homosexual sin? Homosexual desire, it just disappears. But for heterosexuals, oh, the lust and the struggle and, and, and this and all of, all of our problems, whatever it may be, gossip, slander, slothfulness, gluttony, pride, just go on and on and on and on and on. Rebellion, not loving. I mean, oh, hey, that's okay. I can't believe anybody would get upset. That, that to me is like, whoa, we need to think about that. We, we do need to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone just said not enough faith and praying. Yeah. I, I get that either, either. Well, most times it, people don't even blame it on that. They just say they're not saved. That if you get saved magically, all of your sexual desires will magically transform to heterosexual. And I have counseled and watched people go through this. I had someone who, who they even were interviewed and talked about and their testimony was all over the place that, Hey, I, I was, I was a lesbian and then I became a Christian and now I'm in a, you know, a, a relationship and God changed me. And multiple times talking to that person, I was, I was, I was always like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because we had some conversations and I would be like, I still think I, I, you sound like you still have a massive, like your, your love and your desires for your, your ex part. It's just, are you sure? And no, God changed me. God changed me. And well, that person left Christianity and went back to their old lifestyle. You could just tell that, that they were struck. They were trying to convince themselves. They were trying to convince themselves that it was gone, but you could, when, and, and, and those, you know, moments of conversation, you could just see it. You could sense it. You could feel it. And it's like, it did them no good to deny it. 
This has happened way too many times in Christianity. And, and, but Chris, the church can't understand that. The church is like, how dare you? How dare you have a wrong desire? How dare you? You, you pervert, you sicko, you, while we have all of our wrong kinds of desires. See, this, this gets me in all kinds of trouble. But see, when, when people get mad at me, I always want to say, calm down, calm down. I am in no way, shape, or form saying homosexuality is not wrong. I'm not saying that. Just like I am not saying that fornication is not wrong. Pornog- pornography, I'm not saying none of those. Th- I'm not saying that those things are not wrong. What I'm saying is whether you're a homosexual, or you're a heterosexual. Guess what? Even as a Christian, your sinful desire, your sinful nature is still there and you still have sinful desires. I may not understand your sinful desires. I may not understand it. You may not be able to understand mine, but I know this is what we have in common. We still have sinful desires and we still desire and lust and, and struggle and fall and sin in so many different ways. So why would I say you, if you get saved, your sinful desire must go away, but <laughs> mine gets to stay present. That is the most theologically inconsistent, illogically crazy concept. Saved people still have a sinful nature, still desire sin, still struggles with selfishness, arrogance, pride, selfishness. We could just go on. I mean, there's thousands of things. So if someone is a homosexual, in other words, they have same-sex attraction, same-sex desire, and they become saved, but they're, they're like, I'm going to live a celibate life. I'm not going to engage in the activity, but I still desire it. Like some Christians won't accept them. They're like, nope, you can't be saved. You can't come to church. Like that is the most ridiculous, by, by that standard, then like anyone who's saved, if you have any sinful desires here today, nobody can be a part of this church. And the person preaching it needs to leave too. Again, what are we saved by? We're saved by an imputed righteousness. We're not saved because of a, of, of, we're, we're saved by an imputed righteousness, not by an infused righteousness. And some people have a hard time with this. Look, I don't understand everyone's sinful desires. I don't understand. And then when you add in human sexuality, I mean, come on. I mean, no, nobody can understand why one person likes this and another person. Like, every, it's, it's a unique, lots of different things happen. Not to get too blunt into the conversation. So I think he makes a power. I think that that, see, that's what everyone should have taken away from. See, what, what to me... To me, what I think everyone should have done is when they heard that, everyone should have been like, wow, that is true. What about the, the gay person who prays for it to go away? Their, their quote-unquote gayness to go, go away. Their quote-unquote same-sex attraction to go away. And it doesn't go away. Do we just immediately dismiss their, their salvation? Because salvation is now determined by having right desires? Well, then nobody's saved because we all have wrong desires because we're all sinners with a sinful nature and our salvation is based off an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness that transforms our desires.
Here's the news article. Here we go. Andy Stanley trends on Twitter for praising the faith of gay people who attend church. Christian Twitter is in an uproar over comments that Atlanta-area pastor Andy Stanley made about gay people. Comments that follow recently renewed controversy regarding Stanley's views uh, st- uh, regarding Stanley's views, the phrase, the Bible says. All right, that's kind of written really weird, but okay. It's, it, it follows a recently renewed controversy regarding Stanley's views, the phrase, the Bible says. The latest outcry pertains to the pastor's remarks on the faith of gay people who are willing to be a part of the church community. A gay person, now I'm quoting from Andy Stanley from a part of that clip that we just heard, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you that they have more faith than I do, said Stanley in a clip of him speaking. They have more faith than a lot of you. Stanley is the pastor of North Point Community Church in Georgia. Um, Adam Page, pastor of Amelia Baptist Church, uh, in Florida, posted the clip of Stanley speaking, saying that it was from North Point's Drive Conference in 2022. Uh, What on earth, said Page, let this be a lesson. Much evil can be done against you, others, and your church under the banner of evangelism, right? Then it says, Andy Stanley, we have some things to learn. The clip, which is in about two minutes long and has been posted without context, begins in the middle of a sentence with Andy Stanley expressing that gay people are more enthusiastic and committed to serving at church than straight people are. Now, again, I, now there, I, I'm not a big fan of him doing that, but I understand sometimes from a preaching perspective, you're trying to get these people to realize, wait a minute, you know, And sometimes when you do that, you're not necessarily representing it fairly. I don't know if you can say gay people are more committed to volunteering than straight people. I think that that's like, what are you basing that on? Is that some scientific statistical study or is that just, yeah, I mean, like, you know, what what exactly are you referring to? Uh, He goes on to say, the pastor emphasizes that gay people attend church knowing it is likely they will not be accepted. Have you ever done that as a straight person, asked Stanley? Where do you where do you go that you're not uh, sure you're going to be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Uh, only your in-laws' house, he joked. Stanley praised gay men and women who trust in Jesus and still have a desire to participate in the community of the church. I know 1 Corinthians 6. I know Leviticus. I know Romans 1, he said. It's so interesting to talk about all of that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13, 14 and 15, God said no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who want to worship with us. Stanley said he is aware of the clobber passages, but that the church needs to figure this out. And you know what? I, you know what? I think you are. Numerous people have responded by accusing Stanley of heresy and calling him a wolf and a false teacher. I'm not sure what kind of faith he's boasting that gays have more of, but it's obviously not the faith that leads to repentance. Now, this is the idea they're defining repentance, obviously, as a change of action, not a change of mind. Let me make it very clear. If a gay person, in a sense, changes their mind, like they're living the lifestyle, they're engaging in homosexuality, and then they become a Christian and their mind is changed and saying, this is a sin, 
and now I'm going to strive to abstain from this sin, that is repentance. That is the change of mind. And it would even, it would even, listen, it would even result as a change of action. Because if they are seeking to stop engaging in the act, you've got the change of mind and you have the change of action. But that's still not good enough for many Christians. Because not only must it be, it must be a change of mind and a change of action. It must be a complete change of sexual desire and attraction. It must just magically transform itself. You go from, oh, I think the person of the same sex is attractive to, boom, look, the people of the opposite sex all of a sudden magically became attractive. So, the, so what Christians want is a change of mind, a change of action, and a change of literally their sexual identity, okay? It, like, it's all got to change. Well, I, I want the same kind of change for every heterosexual, uh, so, uh, so, he, so some person, someone accused, I'm not uh, there and I'm quoting, they don't give the name of this into, oh no, this is the person from uh, John MacArthur's church. This is a uh, Daryl B. Harrison, director of digital platforms at John MacArthur's Grace to You. All right. This is again, what he says. I'm not sure what kind of faith he's boasting that gays have more of, but it's obviously not the faith that leads to repentance, which is why the church exists to call unbelievers and believers alike to repent of their sin and not to continue in it. Well, Andy Stanley didn't say anything about them continuing in it. Now, maybe he meant that. But you do realize a gay person could change their mind about the action, abstain from the action, but that doesn't mean that they stop being gay in the sense that they are attracted to someone of the same sex. Page two. Virgil Walker, executive director of operations at G3 Ministries, said this false narrative and pragmatic approach to teaching from Andy Stanley isn't surprising. All of his actions reveal his acceptance of scripture's insufficiency. Wow, I mean, that it's amazing how much people can, can get from a two-minute clip. A two-minute clip, boom, you're a heretic. Boom, you're this. It's just like, come on, man. Like, what do we need? Mm. Mm -mm. But see, nobody's even dealing with the fact that Andy Stanley brought up a powerful point. Someone begging God, take this away. I don't know. Have you ever begged God to take away your desire to sin? Lord, please, please take away the desire to sin. Please take away any sinful desire, any sinful desire. And it doesn't go away. Because the sinful nature is still there. Just if the sinful nature remains in Christians, we're always going to have sinful desires and struggle. Your sinful desire may not be one of same-sex attraction, but trust me, it's still a sinful desire for whichever thing you're desiring, struggling, and, and, and walking through. Uh, they, the executive vice president and, and editor-in-chief of G3 Ministries retweeted the clip with the words, no liberal drift, they said, connecting the controversy to the so-called liberal drift and the Southern Baptist Convention. However, Andy Stanley's church is not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> so the executive vice president of G3 Ministries thinks he's making some comment about the Southern Baptist Convention and Andy Stanley's church is not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> Oh man, Christians, we, but hey, hey, but you know what? You can misrepresent something. You can make an accusation that's not even based on what's going on, but hey, you're okay. You're, you're good. But Andy Stanley is a heretic because, well, you know, 
See, see, we're so we're so subjective in how we handle all of this. Pastor Wayne Bray of First Baptist uh, uh, said, it, and this is in South Carolina, uh, he called the vice president of G3 Ministries t- uh, comments beyond irresponsible, adding at least speak truth when attempting to defame the brethren. And that, that's a good point. So see, then what happens, we, everyone goes after Andy Stanley, then someone makes a comment about Andy Stanley trying to attach him to Southern Baptists, and then other people have to attack that person saying, at least speak the truth. So then Christians just start attacking each other because nobody nobody cares to actually like, Andy Stanley made a very powerful point there. Why is it that God, we can pray to take away sin and it doesn't go away? Why, why does God leave us with a sinful nature? Why? Like that's deep theological, but no, no, no. Instead of having deep theological conversations, everybody has to hop on Twitter and just go accusation, accusation, acting like children on a playground. I know what you are, but what am I? I know what you are. That's basically what it turns into. Right. Let's continue the article. Some responded to the clip by exhorting believers to pray that Stanley would repent of the error of his ways. One user suggested that straight people who are black have had plenty of experiences repeatedly going into situations where they feel uncomfortable. Others suggested that Christians in general have the experience because they're under attack from secular culture. Nevertheless, many other people responded by expressing their support for Stanley. Surprised in a good way by this, said one person. Uh, One person said, I don't uh, dive into this I don't dive into this conversation much because there's no way of expressing all you can about such a huge topic through tweets. Praise God. The the one thing that should never be discussed on Twitter is theology because you can't do it in tweets. But all right. He goes, but I believe he is talking about people who are attracted to the same sex, but does not live that life denying to their flesh to please God. Now, again, I, th- I think it's possible that's what he's referring to. Maybe he is, maybe it's not, but it brings up the issue about what do you do for those kinds of people. Uh, someone goes on to say, if you feel angry at the suggestion that gay people or anyone else you consider sinful being welcome to God's table, then, we, then you will absolutely hate reading the gospel, said author and commentator Jonathan Merritt. Lots of anger from the fundies on this one. Well, it's true. If you don't think sinful people should be welcome to the table, isn't that what the Pharisees were constantly accusing Jesus of? Hey, that person, that woman, like, what are you doing? Uh, They go on to say, I pray that my gay Christian friends and family listen more to a year old out of context. Say, I pray that my gay Christian friends and family listen more to a year old out of context clip from Andy Stanley than to the hate and ignorance of Christians on Twitter. (laughs) Ooh, that's a pretty good statement. Whose pros, who profile identifies him as a former social media pastor at Andy Stanley's church. The fact that this person is sharing the video and disgust is 100% what's wrong with the evangelical church, uh, said Dusty Tackle, a pastor at Eagles Way Church in Georgia. I wish I had not read the comments. I know better. It makes me so sad and literally sick to my stomach. Thank you, Andy Stanley, for always showing what love requires of us. Andy Stanley suggests to a straight crowd that there be a little bit more sympathetic or even empathetic to those gay lesbians, albeit still in the style of love, uh, of love the sinner, not the sin, said another user, and conservative Christian Twitter people cannot handle it. 
Some of those who approved of Stanley's words saw him moving towards an affirming position, although atheist uh, Hamet Amata did not agree. Church leaders has reached out to Stanley for comment and will update this article in the event of a reply. And that concludes the article. All right, so what do we do with this? All right, now time to tick everyone off. I've only spent 43 minutes ticking everyone off. Let's really dig into this. First, I probably should have written down some points, but we'll just work through these. So here we go. First, if you're going to hold to a position that says when a person becomes saved, who was a homosexual, that not only do they stop the lifestyle, but the desire for and if the desire for same-sex relationship and same-sex attraction has to completely go away in order to be saved. You must apply that then to heterosexuals about all sinful desires and all sinful attraction and all sin everything. In other words, what you would have to teach is that when you become saved, all basically your sinful nature goes away and you no longer have sinful desires, no longer sin, sinful attraction, no for, no more sin, sinful uh, struggles. It all goes away. And since nobody does that, I mean, there's some out there who will go some wacky way, but they're living in, in denial of their own sinful desires then clearly you can't you can't have a standard for heterosexuals and not a standard and a different standard for those who have same sex attraction you can't do that the reality is people come to faith in Jesus Christ and by that faith we are saved by an imputed re- righteousness of Christ where his active and passive obedience is imputed to our account we stand before him perfect and holy but in practice we maintain a sinful desire depravity remains within us we desire sin we struggle we fall we sin we fall short continually 24/7 in some way shape or form because sin is a lack of conformity to God's holy standard God God's holy standard is be ye holy as I am holy. You've never been as holy as God is holy. I've never been as God is holy. I've never been as holy as God is holy. And none of us ever will be until glorification. Meaning that whether they're they're struggling with homosexuality or whether they're struggling with some kind of sin that is uh, that is common to people who are homosexual and heterosexual or whether they're they're struggling with a, a sexuality regarding their their sexuality and the and the as, as far as being a heterosexual, no matter what it is, we're all struggling with sin. We're all struggling with sin, whether it's homosexual, same-sex attraction or, or heterosexual sexuality. We're all struggling with sin. Whether, and even if it's not sexual, it's so many other way, things. We're, we, we're all struggling and, and it doesn't go away. So you can't have this standard for the homosexual like, you will stop. Not only will you stop the action, no, you will no longer have the desire. It's just ridiculous. It's like telling a person who used to be, uh, you know, a, a drug addict or an alcoholic that when they get saved, that that desire for alcohol and drugs will just ima- magically disappear. Now, some people, some people, even without Christianity, when they get clean from an addiction, they just really, they just seem to walk away from it and never have a problem. But there's many who they'll always struggle 
There'll always be a struggle. There will always be a desire. Becoming a Christian doesn't make that go away. So that's number one. We just got to realize that. We got to realize that. And number two. So number one, we, we, we can't have this rule that if you become a, if you're a homosexual and you become a Christian, just boom, boom, magically the desire goes away. All we can say biblically is you can't engage in the activity. And you say, well, what happens if they fall into the sin? Well, what happens if you have two singles who are 18 or 19 or 20 or teenagers or, or singles who they keep struggling with having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Does that make them not saved? No. You say, well, you got to stop. You got to repent of that, right? You can't, you got to stop. You got to work on that, right? I mean, someone's struggling. I mean, don't even get into the statistics of Christian men and pornography. I mean, that'll open up a can of worms that nobody wants to look at. So I'm just, I mean, come on. Let's at least be realistic. When you get saved, you get imputed righteousness, but you still maintain an unrighteous, sinful nature where you're going to continue to struggle and you will continue to sin from the moment of conversion till all the way up to the moment of glorification. Everything in between from conversion to glorification, everything in between that is filled with sin, struggle, and failure. And Christianity does not want to accept that, acknowledge that, or believe that even though we all know it in practice. Number two, we have to be willing to acknowledge sometimes the blatant hypocrisy and the blatant inconsistency in the way we handle things within Christianity. And whenever I use this example, people get greatly offended, but it's the way it, 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 uh, I, when I was confronted with this in Bible college or it was a Bible institute, uh, uh, what second or third Bible Institute that I was attended uh, attending. This is one was in Lawton, Oklahoma. I'll never forget like, wait, what are you talking about? Because basically the, the pastor was like, look, you know, the Bible says a lot about marriage and divorce and remarried remarriage. You can just well rip that out of your Bible because nobody applies that practically in, in, a, in a consistent way, because if they applied it practically in a consistent way, it would, it would it, your church would blow up and you wouldn't even be a pastor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, let, think of this, right? And so we had this kind of conversation and, 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 and it was crazy to hear. And I don't remember everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of years ago, so I'm doing a little bit of paraphrasing. So I won't put the words in his mouth, but I'll just kind of have the conversation. Think about it this way. Instead of saying he said, think about it, I'll just kind of now take the conversation and make it my own, okay? Because I don't want to misrepresent someone. But here's the reality. For example, everyone can agree that the Bible seems to imply that when a person is married, right? It's supposed to be one man, one woman for life. Almost everyone agrees with that. However, many believe that there are exceptions which could possibly allow for divorce, some disagree with that. There's not even agreement there, but there, there's disagreement. So let's go even with the idea that there are certain things, certain things that would allow for divorce. Many then question, well, can you get remarried? 
Some would say, well, if you have the right grounds for divorce, you can get remarried. Others would say, if you don't have the right grounds for divorce, you can't get remarried. So the bottom line is, it is it is very feasible, possible, and probable that in many churches, there are those who were married, who got divorced, and got remarried, and even in the most liberal interpretation you could come up with, it would still put them in a now a new marriage that would not be biblical and would be, as, as Jesus would refer to, you're now become an adulterer. So they are committing adultery. Now, I'm not saying that, that now you could, you can, you can try to work your way through the text and try to give them as much justification as possible, but that there is the possibility you're going to have some that, I'm sorry, your divorce uh, was iffy as it is, and the remarriage was clearly not right. You're living in adultery. Now, guess what? Here's what happens. They get married, they get divorced, they get remarried. They're living in adultery according to a biblical standard. And this is like saying that this is like a, an extreme example, but look at how that will be treated. Now, within the Catholic catechism, they say, hey, they have to abstain. They got to live a celibate life. They can't, because they're going to be committing adultery. In non-Catholic world, they're like, no, 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 no. They're okay. Now, look at how this works. So here's someone who's married, divorced, and remarried. So, and they don't meet the criteria of all the exemptions and exceptions that some people will say exist. They're living in adultery. No church discipline. They're not barred from the Lord's table. They get to do anything. They get to, they're just good to go. They're good to go. But at any time in that church, someone commits premarital sex. Boom, they get in trouble. Someone gets caught looking at porn. Boom, they're in trouble. Someone gets caught in, in, in an adulterous relationship. Boom, they get into well, wait, But these people are okay. You see how inconsistent it can be? Someone then falls into some kind of homosexuality. Boom, they're done. But these other people can be living in adultery. And okay, how does that work? Again, four teenagers. Two teenagers, they're a heterosexual couple. They fall into premarital sex. Church may say, oh, that's bad. That's, you know, okay, we got to do this. We're going to do this. Okay, you can't see each other or, or, or we're going to have to take your phones away or whatever the rules may be, All right? Whatever the rules may be. But for the most part, it may be somewhat scandalous, but not too scandalous. But the other two teenagers are same sex. And they find, are found out in having a homosexual relationship. <laughs> Do you think the homosexual couple will be treated like the heterosexual couple? There are all these examples where you're like, well, what about this? And what about this? And here is why this happens. Because sin is messy. And everyone is sinning in some way, shape, or form. And so what we have a tendency to do is try to come and try to create these rules going, well, you this and this and this and this and this. And, and, we, and it, we become inconsistent in how we even try to carry it out. Sometimes there's no even logical consistency in it. It just makes no sense. It's like, well, this is the end of the road. Yeah, but so this is the end of the road, but all my other sins aren't? 
they're they're good to go, but they're not. What? How how does this work? Sin. Look, here's the thing about God's law, and I always try to explain this. God's law, God's rules are just so like black and white and absolute, right? They're just like, like, this is the way it is. Now, remember, those rules set a standard that no one's ever going to fulfill. We're never going to, we're never going to follow. And even if you say, well, I, I fulfill that one. Yeah, but you don't that one. And if you're guilty at one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So you're still a lawbreaker, right? So even if you say, well, I've never struggled with that one, I can point to others that you have. And so therefore you're guilty of all of them. So guess what? <laughs> you're just as guilty, right? But the point is God's law are, they're, they're black and white. They're absolute. It's almost like it has a block. It doesn't care about circumstances, situations, feelings. It doesn't care. It just says it's wrong. And you know what the, the law reveals is that we're all sinners. So when, and so guess what? When that sin arrives, it breaks everything and it leads to these weird situations. Like, well, wait a minute. What about them? Well, wait, what about that? And what about, and, and our trying to deal with it is always messy and it's inconsistent and sometimes it's contradictory and sometimes it's hypocritical and it's a mess because we don't know how to deal with it. Here's the, the, the way we have to realize is that everyone is a sinner because we never conform perfectly to God's law. And the solution to that brokenness is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we put our faith in that and we're covered in the imputed righteousness. I'm not saying it excuses any wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about the wrong. What I'm saying is there's so much wrong and everyone is guilty. And even if you fix one thing, there's 50 other things you're still guilty of. And we got to be really careful when we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to, we're going to carry out basically one stand, one one system of justice for that person, but those people, a different system of justice. Sometimes we got to realize, well, how does that work? Oh, oh, you, you want to really get, oh, you want to make it, you want to make this really controversial? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Now think about this. Oh, oh, I'm getting ready to tick off a lot of people, but let's just think about this. All right. Now we have four people in this case, to uh, each, uh, we'll have two couples. We'll just say two couples. Both couples are married. Ooh, okay. Let's add this to the scenario, all right? Both are married. One is heterosexual. They were married. They were divorced. They're remarried. Ooh, oh boy. Now we go through all the possible justifications for the divorce and justification for the remarriage. And let's say, Ooh, this one is a struggle. I don't know. Even the most liberal interpretation. I don't know if we can justify what you've done. Ah, this this could possibly be an adulterous relationship. Oh boy. What do we do? Well, if we do what most churches do, we do nothing. Well, you know, you're married. There's nothing you can do now. So have a fun, wonderful, happy, relationship. Nobody's going to care. No one's going to judge you. 
You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to feel guilty because we'll say, look, you, you can't change what you did. And with it, with Christ, there is forgiveness and you're covered in the imputed righteousness. So you can't, you can't change what happened. This is the relationship you're in now. You got to forget about the other and you, all we can do is do this now. And that's what many churches would do. And, and you understand why, because well, what do you do there? Right now, again, some in church history would say, well, you have to abstain. And most people think that's ridiculous. Okay. But so they're just going to be able to go along. Okay, and most people would be like, fine, but wait, 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 wait. Before you're like, amen, I, I kind of agree with that. Here's the other couple. <gasps> They're a same-sex couple. They're married. Now, most would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You become Christians? Okay, at the very least, you can no longer abstain and homosexual relations because that sex is wrong. Well, wait a minute. If that other couple is married, divorced and remarried, and it's adulterous, every time they have sex, they're committing adultery. Why wouldn't they have to abstain? Well, no, no, no. That's different. But the gay couple now have to abstain. And most would even go a step further and say, you have to break off the relationship. You can't even, you, you, that, that's over because the Bible doesn't accept it. You can't even live in the same house together. You've got you've to separate. Well, wait a minute. They're living in an adulterous relationship. Well, that doesn't matter. They're heterosexuals. But, you, but you're living in a gay relationship and that's worse than the adult. Do, do you see how, how convoluted that can get? Now, the point is, whether we're talking about adultery, whether we're talking about uh, homosexuality, whether we're talking about pornography, whether we're talking about premarital sex, whether we're just talking about good old fashioned, if a man looks at a woman with lust, he's guilty of adultery in his heart. Whether we're just, even if we're just going with something as that, you take all of that together, it's messy, it's uncomfortable, and it's ugly. But here's the thing that I know is true. Whether it's sex Remove all the sex from it. Whether Just remove all the sexual sin. I don't care what the couple looks like. I don't care the age, the gender. I don't care what they are. Guess what? I know this. Everyone is sinning. And we can all beg and pray for the sinful nature to be removed. It's not going to be removed till glorification. So it means we're all going to have a sinful nature. We're all going to sin. We're all going to struggle and we're all going to fall. Your fall may be different than my fall. Your struggle may be different than my struggle. Your sin issue may be different than my sin issue. You may not be able to understand mine. Mine may disgust you and my, yours may disgust me, right? I, I don't, someone struggle, the sin of slothfulness. What in the world? I don't understand that sin for five seconds. What is that nonsense? What, what do you mean slothful and lazy? What is that? Like, give me a break. Gluttony. I don't understand that in any way, shape, or form. I don't understand that. I eat, and the second I even think I'm full, I even get, I even like, ooh, I think full is right. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I, I, because I don't even like to eat. I'd prefer to do anything else with my time. Like, I, those are issues. I, now, we don't even consider gluttony and, and slothfulness a sin anymore, but there was a time that was listed, you know, as, as a sin. But the point is, whatever the someone struggling with alcoholism, I don't understand that for a second. Why did you even drink in the first place? Why? Why do you even want to drink alcohol? I don't understand it. But whatever the case may be, you've got your issues. I've got my issues. 
But the reality is we're all sinners and sin makes everything messy. Now you add in this other realm of sin that we, that I don't understand. I don't understand same-sex attraction. Don't understand it. Never had a struggle with it. Never had a problem with it. Don't get it. Don't understand it. But I've got my own struggles. So how does the church operate in light of a reality that everyone's a sinner? How does the church operate in the reality that no one fulfills and obeys the law of God, even anywhere close to perfectly, that we are all falling short of God's standard, right? God's standard is a personal, right? A personal, entire, exact, perpetual obedience. The church is made up of people who all fall short continually. Do we just give up? I'm not saying that. Should we strive against it? Absolutely. Is it difficult in knowing how? Well, what do I do now? I mean, I'm in this situation now. What do I do? Rarely can you go back and fix what was done. All you can do is move forward where you are. It's all you really can do. The point is, our only hope is an imputed righteousness. Our only hope is that. Because, and and I, and everyone, it's, it's just weird how people will get preoccupied with one sin. And that sin causes the guilt. That's, I mean, what about the 50 others? Now, I would love to hear Andy Stanley, whatever, everything Andy Stanley has to say. Do you think I agree with everything? No, I, I've, I've criticized his preaching. I've criticized his exegesis of scripture. I've criticized his doctrine. This is not me defending him. This is me saying this clip brings up some very serious issues that we, that the church has been struggling with for a long time. And the church doesn't seem to want to listen to anybody. Like you, you have to just like, you just need to have this attitude. Bunch of homosexuals. They're disgusting. They're going to go to hell. And you can't be saved if you still have same-sex attraction and not even think about, well, wait a minute. You're a heterosexual and you're saved and you've got a million different sinful attitudes and actions and desires. How come you're good to go and they're not? All right. I'm going to check to see. Yeah, I'm, I know this went, this went over well. I can just feel, I can feel the emails coming right now. All right. No more. Con- see, even, even on, even on a Spreaker, all the comments stopped. All the comments. I, I, I've ticked off everyone today. I've ticked off the whole world today. I'm going to check my email inbox really quick. See how many people I've already ticked off. Okay. Um, no, I don't, I don't believe there's a lot of emails, but I don't think any of them refer to what we're talking about. All right. Yeah, I think I've ticked off everybody, but that's okay. And a lot of people are going to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just trying to deal with the reality We're all sinners, man. In some way, shape, or form. And it's weird that in some situations, 
uh, in some situations, okay, someone says they agree and their wife. What, the husband and the wife both agree with me? Man, I, I am the source of marital unity, right? All, everyone, if you'll just listen to my podcast, your marriage will be in 100% agreement. See, that's what we've discovered today. I, any marital disagreements, listen to me and I will bring unity to your marriage. 100%, right? Right? Okay, good. Someone said I didn't tick off the speaker people. Okay, good. I hope not. I hope not. Look, I know it's an uncomfortable topic. Man, I hate... Oh, I know it's... Un, I, I hope you under... I hope you can hear... I hope you can hear my own, like, my own struggle. Because I've just... I've watched it just take place in the church for all my, my life. I've just like... What? Uh, you know, a teenage girl getting put behind the pulpit to confess her sins... Of, of premarital sex because, well, guess what? She's pregnant. So she's being publicly shamed, humiliated. It's uh, those, the few times I've seen this happen, I almost, I've lost, almost lost my mind every time because in almost every situation, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're being publicly shamed and humiliated. But in many cases, again, you have someone in the church, you're like, wait a minute, they were married, the divorce and remarried. And even if we take all the possible exceptions, even if we allow for, well, look what was going on in the marriage. I mean, come on, man. I mean, she had a right to get divorced. All right. But does the Bible allow for the remarriage? And if the remarriage isn't allowed for whatever the case may be, then she's living in an adulterous relationship. I mean, Jesus even speaks of this. Jesus even speaks of, of these kinds of situations about possible adultery. Let me, in fact, I'll just pull it up really quick just because I want to add this to it because I just want you to see that I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying in any way to be, put it this way, I'm, I'm not talking about what, I'm not even talking about what I want to talk about because I don't even want to talk about this. I think it's Matthew 19. I'm just, I'm looking, I'm, I'm going with my memory. Oh yeah, uh, memory. Uh, see, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Jesus says, um, here, see. Okay. Uh, okay, look here. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse eight. He told him, because there's this question on divorce. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whosoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So there's the possibility of committing adultery. Now there it says sexual immorality, and we get into a whole discussion, which what sexual immorality is being referred to there. Some think that that's referring to sexual immorality during the betrothal stage, right? When they're, they're kind of in the engagement period, which was almost like a divorce, almost like a marriage at that time. And then even in the betrothal stage, there's almost like a divorce thing that has to happen because that's in Matthew. And look at how Joseph was going to put away Mary privately, right? Because she, he, she was found to be with child. That, In other words, she had committed sexual immorality, according to Joseph's perspective, during the engage, so this would be referring to the engagement period. But what, however, you want to understand it, the possibility is you could get remarried and commit adultery. Well, and so I've I, I've sat in these situations, go whoa, whoa, whoa! This girl is being outed for sexual immorality as a teenager because now she's pregnant. The guy is never anywhere to be found. She's being humiliated, and you look around and like, well, wait, 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 wait. I think they're living in an adulterous relationship. Oh, they're good to go. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's humiliate her 
And it's so this weird, like, situation. I'm, I'm only bringing up the marriage, I'm only bringing up the marriage, divorce, and remarriage thing only to show you that that's a messy situation. And you said, what's the answer? I don't have easy answers for that. I don't. There aren't any easy answers. They're not. I know that sitting in that church where the woman the teenage girl is now being outed and publicly humiliated. There are men sitting there who that very day had seen a woman and lusted. So they're guilty of adultery. There are men in that church who are probably looking at pornography. They're guilty of adultery. So it's like on one hand, we, we, we will take someone down and humiliate publicly shame. And in the other case, you say, well, they haven't been caught. That, that that's that's the solution now some of them have been caught because in a sense they're married divorced and remarried but then we're like well we can't do anything about that and what's weird i've been in churches where someone there's people in the church who've been married divorced and remarried probably even in a most liberal interpretation that would be an adulterous relationship and then someone else in the church will get ready to go through a divorce. And then we want to we want to ex- execute church discipline because they're going to possibly get a divorce. Wait a minute. You can't execute church discipline on someone who's possibly getting a divorce if you got someone else who's been married, divorced, and remarried sitting in the church and they're good to go. <laughs> it's like, how does that work? The only reason I bring up that subject is because that subject is so, it's so relevant because it's an example of once sin enters in how messy everything is broken and and the fixing of it is never easy the 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 bible is not always good like okay if you commit this sin what should happen i'll give you an example i'll just give you an example i know i've gone a little long but just just bear with me some weird things that happen all right for example Genesis 6 seems to apply that if you murder someone, you're supposed to die. Moses killed someone, hid the body. Not only did he not get murdered, not only was he not judged by God, God calls him to be his spokesman, a murderer. David has someone killed. Not only is David not killed for his action, the baby dies, David doesn't. David not only does not die, he gets the woman in fact, he has multiple wives and he gets to write scripture. <laughs> what? Solomon takes the adultery thing to a level that we cannot even comprehend. I mean, he's the Guinness books, a world records for, for, you know, adultery. I mean, he's got, he's got polygamy. He's got adultery ends up at, with idolatry. And we're like, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Let's read a little Solomon. So sometimes even in the Bible, you're like, well, what, what? Because sometimes even, even with God, what is set up as this is what's supposed to happen doesn't always happen that way because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. How do we bring in mercy and grace into these situations? And again, if you're going to focus on the one sin, what about all the other sin? I know I'm not supposed to talk this way, but I, this, this, 
This is the kind of conversations we have to have. All I know is this. Is I'm a sinner. I have been since my salvation. I still am. And I will continue to be until glorification. I don't excuse any of my sin. I don't excuse any. I don't make any excuse for it. I don't deny that it's a sin. I know that I am to continue to strive against it. I know that I will continue to fall. But I know my salvation is based off an imputed righteousness. So if I look over and there's someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, who says, I want to believe in Jesus and I, and I will acknowledge that this is sinful, but I'm still going to struggle with it and I'm still, still going to have difficulty, I'm, not, I'm going to view them as a, a brother in Christ based off their faith in Christ. They're changing their mind about that sin and they're struggling with it. And I'm going to walk with them and I'm going to be like, look, I don't understand your sin and I, don't, I know you don't understand my sin, but we're just going to stumble. We're going to stumble through this thing called the Christian life, trying to figure it out. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with that. And guess what? That homosexual could beg and beg that God would take away that desire. And I could beg and beg to God take away my wrong desires. And guess what? They're going to be left with theirs and I'm going to be left with mine because that's the way it works. Why? The sinful, because the only way for that to truly work is the sinful nature would have to be taken away. Like, well, no, no, God can take away that desire. Well, even if he takes away one desire, you're still going to have 50 other wrong desires and struggles because the sinful nature remains unless you're telling me the sinful nature goes away. And if you believe the sinful nature goes away, then Christians can be perfect. But since Christians can't be perfect and we can't stop sinning, well, then that means the sinful nature remains. Meaning, (laughs) sin is going to be a part of all of our lives. So what's my hope? In the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's my only hope. That's it. The imputed righteousness. Not if I was given an infused righteousness, I would I would argue I would argue in a more catholic way. But I don't I reject catholicism. Imputed, not infused. I'm declared righteous even though I'm not. Should I strive for righteousness? I should. Do I do a bad job of it sometimes? Trust me, you don't even want to know. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.